Tony Castricone is the voice of the Huskies, newly minted voice of the Huskies over the last couple seasons. And in my life, I've come across all different types of personalities, whether it's an NFL locker room, whether it's in the media business, gotten a chance to meet a lot of different people. I don't know if I met someone who has such a thirst and quest for answers quite like Tony Castricone. It's fascinating and still searching today in a depth and storytelling way that's truly remarkable. Tony Castricone, the voice of the Washington Huskies. How does that sound? Pretty surreal, to be honest with you. I I grew up just loving sports. I, I think that there were only two things in my childhood, in my adolescence that mattered to me. And that was my faith and sports. And it, it was so, it was so crazy because I didn't even know what else to talk about. Like with anybody, you know, you start to get into that age where you want to date, but, but you don't know really what to say when all your life, Hey, what about that? You know, Heisman trophy winner. <laughs> and you grew up in a sports Mecca. I mean, you grew up in Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Well, for those of us in the Pacific Northwest or in other parts of the country that don't know sports fandom, the Buckeye Nation in Columbus, Ohio, is as big a sports town as there is in America. I think they did a survey once. Uh, what what market in the nation has the largest percentage of sports fans among its you know populace? And I, I think Columbus was number one with like 67% of people considered themselves sports fans. And I like to say, you know, Thank goodness the Blue Jackets have changed this a little bit, the, the NHL team, but it's the biggest college town in the world. I mean, it's 1.5 million people that don't have a pro sports team. And so Ohio State kind of um, serves that purpose for them. So I grew up in the shadow of the horseshoe, and uh, my dad went to Ohio State, and I was taught to hate Michigan, which is, is funny because working with Michigan was one of the biggest catalysts in my career. And so I... Uh, really wanted to be an athlete. And once I was in the middle of high school and getting cut from teams, it was apparent that wasn't going to happen. I was going to have to find another way to be around sports if I wanted to do this long term. So I threw myself into just journalism as an idea, whether it was writing or wanting to broadcast or whatever. My mom's got tapes of me at age seven doing mock sports casts. Um, thank goodness she hasn't figured out how to work YouTube yet. But I, I just, I don't know. Uh, I have always wanted to be in a position like this. And the fact that I get to with a university like the University of Washington in a city like Seattle, uh, it's so humbly, like, I, I, I can't believe it. Well, I know that that's the end game. And I know that's happened just over the last few years. But as you and I have chatted, there were many, many doors and many steps and quite a journey along the way. So you mentioned your whole life and upbringing was about faith and sports. How so? Well, um, I was raised uh, and my my whole family, um, my mom, my dad, my two younger sisters, all devoutly Roman Catholic to this day. I still have such an immense respect for for the Catholic Church, Uh, my my family, all still devoutly Roman Catholic. And I went 12 years of Catholic school, altar boy, active, active involvement, service, uh, going to all-boys Catholic high school that had mandatory service. It infused me with some values that I think I absolutely needed to have as a bedrock for then stepping into college, stepping into my own life, and just like 
kind of at least like giving me these warning signals inside like, yeah, you want to get into this, but watch out. But then I found myself struggling with things. So I'm in this graceless state where I have I have committed mortal sin. I need to confess this. And then I'm sitting here torn. It's like, okay, well, I can get to confession on Saturday. What do I do between now and Saturday? Do I just like, hey, I might as well just indulge for now? Or like, what 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 do I do? Right? Because I mean, I'm in the state either way, right? And obviously there's a lot of broken thinking there. And and that's not I, I don't think that's on Catholicism. I think that's on me. That's broken thinking. But the way that my faith life was developing was it from ages like, I don't know, 18, 19 to maybe like 26, it wasn't maturing. In fact, it was backsliding. And I, I, I knew deep inside that this is the most important thing in the world. You know, C.S. Lewis says like, Christianity is either of no importance if it's untrue or it's of ultimate importance if it is true. But the only thing it can't be is moderately important, right? Which is so brilliant. Mm-hmm. And like I, I knew this, but I, I just couldn't quite figure this out for myself. And then I had a relationship with a woman that I really loved that lasted about nine months, but there was no faith in that relationship at all. It wasn't going anywhere. We tried going to Catholic Mass a time or two, and she she didn't feel comfortable there. And I said, where do you feel comfortable going to church? And she had mentioned a place that a coworker uh, had gone and she's like, oh, let's, let's try this. It's like a coffee house Thursday night sort of thing. And I went in there and it was a non-denominational church and the messages, those nights just hit me like square between the eyes, right in the heart. And as that relationship ended and I sat across from a pastor and I was in his office, I was sobbing and I was telling him, I, I just want her back so bad. And I'm so torn and all this other stuff. He just looked at me and he said, have you made Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior? And it hit me like a ton of bricks that I'd never used that verbiage before. I'd never outwardly said, Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. And I didn't know why. And I didn't, it it felt weird to me. But it became abundantly clear to me in that moment that yes, he is. And no, there is no hope outside of this. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's, there's no hope for me. There's no hope for my joy, my peace, my happiness. Like I'm, I'm just here for 80 years hanging out until I go chill in a box underground six feet for forever. That's, that's it outside of Jesus Christ being my personal Lord and Savior. Toward the end of my time in Columbus, um, I was happy there. It was my hometown. Uh, coming out of college at Ohio University, I got what I consider at the time a dream job. I was working at a local radio station in Columbus. We were covering the Buckeyes. We were covering the Browns and the Bengals and the Blue Jackets and all this stuff. And I had fun. I didn't have a very big role, but I had fun. I was an anchor. I was a reporter. I would do some uh, fill-in talk shows. and I got to meet guys like Chris Spielman and Kirk Herbstreet who were who are guys that, that I think had big influences on me. I'm so young and impressionable, and these are guys I really looked up to in the industry, and both of them are, are men of faith. So as I'm in this small group, I start talking to uh, some other people about like, hey, I, I know you're, you're 
considering some different options for what our next mini series is going to be in this group. But I, I would really love something on like, what's God's will for your life. I would really love that because I'm struggling big time. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it specifically looks like, but we started the Andy Stanley series, a video series on that. And, um, started praying really intentionally about that. And a couple months later, out of left field, I finished my last sports update at a, at, at 10.00 in the morning. And my program director calls me. He's like, hey, I, I want to meet with you for a second. I'm like, all right. I go down down the hall. And you're thinking at that moment, man, I'm getting a break. Yeah, like, right. he, <laughs> maybe. I, this is a change. He, I've been waiting. I'm doing updates. I We've like my talking. role. Yeah. It's my dream job. Herbie loves me. Spielman loves me. Like. <laughs> I'm getting called down because I'm getting to the big leagues. Like, I'm getting my own show. That's always the hope. And instead, I walk in and I see the director of HR and I see the uh, the general manager. And I'm like, oh, hi. How, how are you guys doing? Hey, we're really sorry, but we got to let you go. And I was like, What? I did mornings for five years up at 4 a.m., Every Monday through Friday, I slept in two segments a day. You know, I'd sleep from 11p to 4a, and I'd sleep from 1 to 3pm. And I'm like thinking that I'm grinding and I'm working and I'm, um, I'm sacrificing and I'm building a little bit of a following. And I'm like, all I can think is this isn't fair. And what do I do now? I'm a Columbus lifer. I, I don't have any value outside this market. Like, I, I, I don't know what to do. I mean, I was living paycheck to paycheck because it wasn't, it was an entry level job. I felt like this isn't fair. But then I got on the phone with some of those guys, some of those mentors, some of those guys in my small group. And I was just crying like tears of joy because I was like, I think this is the answer to something. I don't know. I don't know what the next step is, but this is the answer to something. Was there peace in that moment? It was radical peace. Really? I look back on that time, and I'm jealous of the peace that I had back then. I think of like what I have now and what I have to lose and how that scares me and all that stuff. And I was so relying on God because I had nothing else. And it's like that was such an awesome time where it's like, I often pray that like God can work on me in a way where it's like I can go back to that just total reliance on him, total trust in him. I deal with a lot of doubts now and I deal with times where I just don't trust God at all. I don't even I don't even always feel like he's there, right? But at that time in my life, I was so trusting that I was like whatever, whatever, whenever you lead me. And so one of the things that I had always done on the side as a hobby was play guitar. And I loved writing songs, and I wasn't very good at it, but I, I just loved doing it. And I kind of had this, this like, kind of dream or vision stirred up one day of, like, what about going on tour? What about, like, the 40-day tour, right? Like, 40 years wandering the desert. What if I, like, wandered the United States for 40 days? And there's just open mics all over the place. Like, I mean, you know, and, and I know people in a lot of different cities and everything else. And so what if I just like threw my guitar in my car 
and and drove all over the place and and just played for 40 days and just like figured out what the next step might be. So I did. I started like a little Kickstarter or whatever. And and as I passed through North Carolina, I walked into ISP Sports Headquarters, which were in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, small town, small city. And I kind of induced a job interview. I was like, I know you guys are always hiring part-timers and stuff. I'd love to... You know, maybe. Can I play my song for you? Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm a part-timer, but I know I can be full-time. <laughs> was it a little Johnny Cat? What was it? What was the harmony? What was this? <laughs> what, what were we doing? What chords were we playing? Oh, uh, it's so it's so singer-songwriter, angsty, emotional. <laughs> Jason Isbell, life is hard, but there's beauty at the end of it. Like, oh, but as I continued on my journey. It was unbelievable to me the things that would happen on that trip that right as I was kind of at my my wits end where I was like, I need to turn around and go home. This isn't working. I'm running out of money. Whatever might happen, like something crazy would happen. Like there was a night where I was sleeping in the back of my car in a parking garage in Fort Worth, Texas, and it was two nights in Fort Worth. I couldn't find anywhere to play. And if I didn't have anywhere to play, I didn't have a jar to like put out and, and ask for money. And I didn't have a chance to tell my story and, and all this stuff. And a TV station that had interviewed me along the way aired something on, on Sunday morning that I had done. And a friend's mom saw that interview and donated $300 that night. I, I'm literally walking down the street to the YMCA, giving him my ID, saying, hey, can I take a shower here? Like, I mean, that's that's what I was doing. It was just a total step out in faith. Like, let's let's just see where this goes. And so the $300 magically appearing in my, in my account in, that night in Fort Worth, um, going to Denver, and again, starting to get to the point where it's like, I, I need something to happen tonight, and um, showing up at a place, and there was... They they had saved me a spot and then they told me I couldn't play there. They were overbooked and I was like, "Gosh, no, this isn't fair." And then I went down uh, to to another location and I show up there and there's literally nobody. And I'm on stage and as I'm on stage, these two kids who wanted to play walk in and they bring like 50 people with them, and all 50 of those people bought my CD that night and like supported me and it, like just crazy, crazy things happening. God has given me just enough right now to see what the next step is. But then I got a phone call during that trip that they were offering me a part-time job, very part-time job, uh, to make $110 a game reading scoreboard updates on football and men's basketball broadcasts. And I was like, I'll take it. (laughs) I'll move to North Carolina for what a thousand dollars over the course of three months, and yeah, I, I moved there, uh, completely empty apartment. I slept on the floor, didn't have a bed for nine months. Just took on two other part time jobs, just doing whatever I can, and then finally, IMG offers me a, a full time job. After about eight months, they offer me a full time job doing something that I never in a million years thought I'd do, and it was radio management. Like they wanted me to manage radio networks, like be in charge of recruiting affiliates and, you know, coaching talent and bringing teams together and all the stuff. And I was like, I'm not qualified to do this. But Chad Cleveland, my boss at the time, looked at me. He's like, yeah, you are. 
you you can do this. And so I stepped into a management role for the next seven years. And you're how old at this point? 20? 29. And so I'm not going to be on the air hardly at all. There's no play-by-play out of this out of this position. There's all those things that I want not exactly present here, but I felt like I was really being called to step into this. But I still have a dream of play-by-play. I mean, this is my dream. And, and from a young age, when, when I knew I wanted to do college sports play-by-play specifically, I mean, I'm not really interested in the pros. I want to do college sports. Like, I'm where I want to be right now. And we have some of those tapes. We're going to play them right now your mom. So. <laughs> I hope not. Mom, um, before podcasts would be invented, I thought there'd be a chance that if I had a job like this, I could have a platform where I could talk about my faith life, my relationship with Christ. And so that's how I've kind of justified it to myself that my dream could potentially align with God's will. Mm -hmm. But so for four years, I'm working as a manager, working as a manager, and an opportunity popped up. I'd been calling a little bit of fill and play by play here and there. Um, and, and had some really cool opportunities to fill in on a few Michigan games. And that really got me some experience and some tape. The that team I up north? The team up north. A kid from Columbus? That's right. A school that won't be mentioned other than by initials? <laughs> That's right. What? The T-T-U-N? I didn't tell them that before I went and uh, filled in on the games. But um, that was an eye-opening experience for me because I'll tell you, the people at Michigan treated me so well. And they became some of my closest professional colleagues. And so that was great. And and I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for Michigan because of that. But then there was an opportunity to to do some games at Clemson to be the men's basketball guy at Clemson. But they specifically wanted to hire a part-timer. They didn't want a full-time position. They wanted someone to come in and just call 30 men's basketball games a year. I'm three and a half hours up the road. I'm like, me, me, great. I would totally do this. I'll totally drive seven-hour round trip in a day to call Clemson versus South Carolina State. I'll do that as ACC basketball. You know, trips to Cameron Indoor, the Carrier Dome, Dean Dome. Like, yes, I would love to do this. And so I got that job. And it was so thrilling, and yet it was so part-time. It was, I have to keep my full-time job. I've got to make sure both parties are okay with me flying back and forth up and down I-85. I mean, it stretched me thinner than thin every single winter for the three years that I did it. But that's a lot of time in the car. And I found out about a guy named Ravi Zacharias. And Ravi Zacharias blew my mind because I've never heard anybody talk about faith the way that Ravi Zacharias does. He talks about it in such an evidential, philosophical way. And he connects the head and the heart so much. And that's the whole entire thing behind his ministry is helping the thinker uh, believe and helping the believer think. I'm never going to have this unattainable certainty that, that I really want to have, but I have enough to believe that this is a healthy presupposition to, to use as a foundation to build my life on. And was it a uh, Ravi chat room? No, it wasn't. Uh, it's not the normal dating site. Right? <laughs> right? I, I don't think. Maybe I'm no, wrong. but not exactly. But maybe Ravi has brought a lot of people together in marriages. I don't know. But it sounds like he was an impetus for you and Selena. So I decided to enroll in a, a, an apologetics class because I just wanted to learn more. 
and there are people from all over the world introducing themselves on the message board in the class. And there was this one post that just said, greetings from San Diego, California. And I clicked on it. There's a little thumbnail picture that was like 50 by 50 thumbnail. And I was like, there's a chance she could be cute. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but but I was like, I, I just felt compelled to start engaging in conversation. After we batted back and forth uh, a couple of responses about why we were interested in this course, some emails turn into texts. Some texts turn into, hey, I've got a three and a half hour drive. It's 1 p.m. or it's 1 a.m. Eastern time, but it's reasonable time. You're hanging out on the West Coast, which would be up for talking. And so it turns into a two-hour phone call, which turns into a four-hour phone call, which turns into six-hour FaceTimes, which turns into, I have never met anybody like this in my life. And yes, I'm in North Carolina and she's in San Diego. And yes, this feels crazy. But I need to ask her, if she'd be willing to meet sometime. And so I throw the idea out there. She's totally game. So I book a flight to go out and visit her. And it was a crazy four days. The most like, I can't believe you exist. That whole soulmate feeling like we're having conversations about some of the hardest questions that a lot of Christians, I feel like a lot of Christians, they just, they push down. And, and they bury these questions because maybe they feel ashamed. Maybe they don't feel like they're welcome to ask these things. Maybe it's an indicator of weak faith if you ask it, so you don't want to ask it. But these questions that if I think that if we are honest with ourselves about them and we drag them into the light, now we can examine them and we can really try to work on them. And we're, we're discussing these, the most meaningful stuff there is. Like, I love talking sports. But we're talking about stuff way, way, way more important. And you were a kid that that's all you knew. Mm-hmm. You said earlier, that's all I knew. I, I couldn't talk to people in high school, girls in high school. That's right. It was just all sports and faith. Yeah. And now we're having these conversations that I feel like I not only haven't had these with anybody else, but I can't have these with anybody else. Wow. I proposed to her. Um but after we, four days? No, after no. no, after after about three months. Okay, after about three months. Three months. But um, there were some really hard questions in there, like, okay, we know that we want to be together, but our visions of what that looked like are completely different. And I've been working on this career for the last twelve, thirteen, fourteen years that I'm I feel like would be a violation of myself to just give up. And um, she is a Southern California lifer, and she's very content with her life. She loves her life. She lives 0.8 miles from the beach in Carlsbad. Like, is she, you know, all her family's there. She's got a job that she likes there, everything else. What are we going to do? And there was even one night where we had such a hard argument that I thought it might be ending because we couldn't sync up. But I felt, like, you know what? Fight for what y- you you believe in. Fight for what you believe in. And I booked a flight for 6 a.m. like the next morning. It was expensive because you know how overnight like booking a flight can be. And I just flew out to San Diego and was like, w- I'm not leaving until we deal with this. I'm not leaving until we get on paper like what our plan is going to be, what it is that you need, what it is that I need. And until we can 
find this common ground. And it was a starting block, but it wasn't, we didn't figure it all out that weekend. But we figured it out enough that we knew we were going to start praying about, God, where do you want us to land? Give us a job, give us a city, give us a, a place, give us a, a house, give us a church, give us some friends. Give, please, you know, help us because we need you in this process. We start praying and Bob Rondo announces his retirement. And um, she's like, are there any jobs you can apply for out West? Are there any? And I was like, well... There's one, there's one, but babe, and my wife is not a sports fan. She doesn't know sports. She doesn't like, she doesn't care to know sports. She's supportive of me and my career. But if another game was never on our TV ever again, it wouldn't bother her in the slightest. Like, I mean, she's got her, her own interests and, and that's awesome. But, um, I was like, I know you don't understand this industry. I know you don't understand like how high profile this job is. I feel inadequate for it. I feel like there's a less than 2% chance that I get it. But if you feel okay with Seattle, I'll go for it. And she was like, yes, I, I would do Seattle. I would do Seattle. She said that. And you are engaged at this We're point. We're engaged, yeah. I apply. And... uh I don't want to bore anybody with the details of that, but like all of a sudden, the next thing I know, a month goes by and I'm sitting in Husky Stadium in Chris Peterson's office and we're talking about like, what's important to you, coach? I'll tell you what my philosophy is on coaches shows and how to broadcast games and I want to be an asset to you. Was that in the interview process? I was in the interview process. We sat there for about 45 minutes and I talked to Jen Cohen for an hour and I talked to Coach Hop and I talked to all the associate ADs and the SIDs and it was a murderer's row gauntlet of eight interviews, six hours, exhausting. And like, it, here we are, like for whatever reason, because I here I'm being honest here. Yeah. I truly believe that there are a hundred people that that could have done this job amazing. Like, I do not think I'm the best play by play guy out of that out of that group of people. I think I was good enough to be considered, and I think that I was able to sell my vision for what I want to do with the position and how I want to be um, a positive ambassador for UW Athletics. And I've worked at IMG for seven years, and so since it is truly actually an IMG position, I get your culture. I get the importance of maintaining client relationships. I think I think it was that complete package mm -hmm. that might have been what sealed the deal. But I'm sitting there in this office like, I can't believe where I'm at right now. To think that seven years earlier, I was sleeping on floors. To think that like seven and a half years earlier, I was sleeping in the back of my Mazda 3 in Fort Worth, Texas, not knowing where on earth my life is going. But just trusting that it wouldn't be a disaster. Here's what I'll tell you about dream jobs. When you apply for them, I think a lot of people think, well, it, you know, you're just trying to impress them. You'll absolutely say yes no matter what. I did not feel that way going into this because I knew if I was going to to move my wife here, it was going to have to be a good fit for her. If I was going to relocate from 2,500 miles away here, it was going to have to be a good fit for me. If you're going to follow in the footsteps of what a four-decade 
mm. generational legendary announcer in, in Pacific Northwest in the University of Washington and Bob Rondo, mm-hmm. who is Husky Athletics. And you can follow in his footsteps as well. This had to all fit. And I had to feel like there was enough belief in me in the people that were going through the hiring process that I would be supported. Look, I listened to Bob from the moment that the internet started streaming college games. Like, I didn't grow up in Seattle, but I've listened to Bob for years. He's excellent. I get it. He's People say, you'll never be Bob Rondo. I'm like, you're right. I, I never will be. I, I hope to be a great Tony Castricone, but I'm not trying to be him because he was unique and amazing and awesome and he had a great 37 year run but i knew that like i mean if i had a dime for every time i heard the words you got big shoes to fill like i'd be buying some of that expensive real estate we've got here in seattle and so i i needed support in that and i just knew that my boss would support me jen was going to support me uh coach pete coach hop uh, everybody was going to support me so you finished the interview mm-hmm. you call selena I think it went pretty well, babe. I think it went pretty well. And so she's getting excited. Well, so then separately, I go back to North Carolina. About 10 or 12 days pass. We've got an engagement party coming up in Ohio. And so she's flying to Ohio. She's in midair somewhere over Oklahoma or something like that. And then my phone rings. And it's like, we're going to offer you the director of broadcasting position at the University of Washington. And I just could not believe it like in fact i actually walked out of work i got off the phone and i just left for the day i didn't tell anybody where i was going i i just had to leave and just thank god and just i i just needed time by myself to process Mm. what has just occurred in in my life is unbelievable there are times where you do know that the percentage chances of something working out in your favor are extremely low. And then when it does, all I could think about is like, okay, we we have a place to like settle, to plant some roots, to start our family, to start our lives. Mm -hmm. But now like we also, we also are here for a reason. And now the hard work begins of like figuring out some of the details of what that reason is. And uh, you said to me over coffee, you said just doubt that you're just a, a cynic in doubt mm-hmm. in some ways by nature. Mm-hmm. And yet, Tony, for the last almost hour, I've heard your story. How could you have doubt? I always am going to wonder, is this my will? Mm-hmm. Right. Is this me steering my own ship? Am I just trying to convince myself of something? We live in a very confusing world, a very complex world. The term sin in archery means to miss the mark, right? And we all miss the mark constantly. And that creates more confusion and more doubt. And I think I'm trying to get comfortable with the uncomfortable fact that I am always going to have questions. And there is an unhealthy level of certainty that I want, spending too much time dwelling on that can also create an unhealthy level of skepticism because like you have to presuppose something. When we look at people 
who we call, quote unquote, religious, we start to say, well, there's not a whole lot of thinking going on there. But that's why I don't like the word religious. That's why I like the word worldview, because we all have worldviews. Atheism's a worldview. Secular humanism's a worldview. Scientific determinism's a worldview. Christianity's a worldview. And I think there is an amount of faith required, and there are presupposed things laying underneath all the actions that we take every single day. And maybe some people just take for granted what it is that they presuppose. I, I, I try not to. I'm trying to, I'm trying to like really figure that stuff out, and that's the only difference between me and a total skeptic. And now that you've got your dream job, and now that Tony Castricone called a Rose Bowl, now that Tony Castricone called a tournament game, the University of Washington got to their first tournament, and some people really point to you, Tony, is the difference. And you coming <laughs> in, it's been a five-year drought. Some point to Coach Hopkins and Jayla Noel. Yeah. So is there peace? Is there total contentment? Oh. Is some of the doubt, some of the worry, You're like, now I've arrived, and we're good. No. <laughs> no. Although I know the answer should be yes. And that's where, that's where I, I think there's a continual, again, just working on that relationship. Because just because I'm in relationship with the way, the truth, the life, just because God is love and I'm trying to be in relationship with love, like just because that's the case doesn't mean that I have it all figured out. This job can be an idol. And this no. job really? is at times an idol. And that's where it's like I've had so many godly people tell me there's nothing wrong with this job. Just hold it with an open hand. Be okay with whatever God wants to do with it. And I struggle with that with this job. I really do. It's something that I need to be honest about. And I need to drag into the light so it can be held in check constantly. I'm not speaking on behalf of Christianity and the way that it's supposed to be when I say, no, I don't have peace. I'm speaking on behalf of like the broken Tony Castricone that's still struggling with like just my human nature that, no, I'm still trying to get to peace with that. And that's a process. And you got a sports fan for a wife now? Yeah, right. <laughs> huh? That's a whole nother hour. Think about this. Like, she's giving up living in Southern California for her entire life. She's giving up being around all her family, all her friends, everyone she's ever known. She's giving up her job, which wasn't really, she doesn't look at it like a career, but it's a job that she got value out of that she really liked. And, um, She's giving all that up for me so that I can be in this position. There are so many different directions that like I can go from that point that I'm just overwhelmed with. But I, I, I just think that like I can really easily think that this is all about me. And because, because my wife is not like someone who I'm talking to about like the details of the zone defense and like, God, this is what we got to do to beat the Buckeyes and the Rose Bowl. And like, I'm not, sometimes it feels like we're not doing the whole, my job together. Mm -hmm. 
But then I have to remind myself, we're not supposed to do my job together. We're supposed to do life and, and grow toward God together. And I'm supposed to do my job to pay the bills and to bring glory to God. Like Those are the two reasons that I'm supposed to do my job. And I'm blessed that I get to enjoy it. But any time that I make more out of it, like our, our marriage suffers when I start to put the job on a pedestal equal to or above her. Our marriage suffers. And moving to a city like Seattle, it's different. It's a big city. Uh, I'm not used to like the big city problems and stuff, but that's not that bad. Replacing Bob Rondo, that's actually a great thing. That's not like people look at it as, man, I feel sorry for you to replace a legend. I don't feel sorry for me. I got the best job in the world. That's easy. I was going to try as hard as I could, regardless of if I replaced Bob Rondo or some guy that wasn't any good. Like I was going to try as hard as I could. So that's easy. That's not that bad. I, I'm not worried about other people's uh, – I'm not exclusively worried about other people's opinion of the job that I do there. I want to do a good job. I want to do the best I can. But the hardest part has been my marriage. We got married on September 16th, 2017 in Temecula, California. I drove a moving truck with everything I owned, everything I decided to keep from North Carolina. I drove that 3,000 miles to Temecula, California. We said I do. And our honeymoon was 1,200 miles over three days up the five from San Diego to Seattle. We moved into a place sight unseen. We started unloading everything, and we needed to, to order uh, delivery. And we started fighting over what the delivery was going to be. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't think that was going to be night number three of marriage fighting over should we get Thai or pizza. Like, I didn't think that was going to happen. And then then the next thing, like, okay, I'm all excited about this job, but I feel like I feel like maybe there's something that she doesn't get, and I want her to get it, and now I'm frustrated. And so now I've got an attitude, and she can sense the attitude, and now that's a problem. And I I was so not mentally and emotionally prepared for the responsibility of being a good husband because I'm going to blame it on my obsession with the whirlwind that I was experiencing in my career. My obsession with like, oh, I might have a chance to get my dream job. Like that was, I was getting married. And yet at the same time, I'm sitting here like focusing on, I've got this dream job. I'm so like this thing that I've been working for forever. And it's so easy for me to knock my priorities out of line. And you think like, well, gosh, everybody at work seems to, to really enjoy my company. Everybody that I meet seems to enjoy my company. Everybody like that, that I'm starting to make friends with seems to enjoy my company. And now I go home and I'm the enemy. I feel that's, that's the way I feel. Right. And I'm not sitting here analyzing, well, what did I do to contribute to this situation? I'm, I'm instead just saying like, I feel disrespected. I feel like the enemy. And no one else makes me feel like the enemy. So what have I done here? What are, what are we doing? There's a lot of unhealthiness there. Mm-hmm. And so I'll just be candid from about three months in until now and probably for years to come. We've been going to Christian counseling, and I'm the biggest advocate in the world for that. Because one thing that being married has taught me is that I'm not nearly as good of a person as I thought I was. Because when I'm like, you know, 
patting myself on the back for the volunteer work that I do in my free time and all this stuff as a single person, right? And then, and then like, you know, I'm reacting like super defensively to not taking the trash out or something like that. Like that, that's not, that's not of the spirit, right? And yet I can sit here and dwell on those things that I do do well or have done well in the past that I'm just like giving myself points for. And I'm not tending to the person who's given everything for me. Like she loves me. Like, like Eric Church says, I'm a long gone wailing song on vinyl. I'm a back row sinner at a tent revival. But she believes in me like she believes her Bible and she loves me like Jesus does. And my wife loves me that much. And I don't deserve to be loved that much. But she radically accepts me. And not that she should radically accept bad behavior, but she radically accepts me as I work on my behavior. And I need to radically accept her because here's the other thing too. Our entire relationship before we got married was on opposite coasts. We had never annoyed each other. I've heard a psychologist say it this way. If you're keeping the back door open in your marriage, you're not really married because marriage is chaining yourself to another person, doing it with the understanding that I'm trouble, you're trouble too, but we're going to tie ourselves to each other so that we can either fix our junk or we're going to box it out for the next 50 years and be miserable. And like, I just think, man, I'm so sure that that's God's design for us to to grow into greater understanding of him and relationship with him is to be with someone that we're not going to leave so that we can confront the reality of ourselves every single day. Because it is so easy to look in the mirror and see the parts I like about myself. It requires somebody else to show me and point out to me. And not even do it on purpose, but just by their sheer existence being there, it manifests and brings to the surface and makes obvious the things that I don't like about myself. She's amazing. And going into the marriage process, everybody's so happy for you. And there's so much positivity around it. I don't think I spent the time investing into the reality and the preparation that this is going to be hard. You start thinking about, well, I didn't have to deal with this in a previous relationship. And now I do. Did I make the wrong decision? But the thing is, if you start going down that rabbit hole of negative thinking, just feeling like, poor me, I'm not getting what I want out of the situation. There's plenty there. Like there's plenty there that you can use to say she's broken. We fell in love. This is all, yeah, we ah, fell, we fell love. Yeah, you're right. There's plenty there. If that's what you focus on, you you miss out on all the beauty and the growth. It's like your journey, Tony. I'm trying to be the best husband I can be. See, here's a funny story. We're in Salt Lake City for game three of the football season. It's the night before our first anniversary. 
we do the football game, big win for the Huskies, 21-7. You know, things are starting to look pretty good, feeling good, everything else. And we've got reservations the next day, but we're going to have to get on a charter flight. We're going to get home at 4 in the morning. It's going to be a long night. And I just wrap up the broadcast by saying Huskies win 21-7 to over Utah. Selena, happy anniversary. I'm coming home. This is the Husky IMG Sports Network. And I started to realize by saying that, I don't know what it is about saying that that's so important to me, but that, that was really important to me. And then it, it, it became a thing that I said at the end of every game is, Selena, I'm coming home. To me, I need people to know. I need the world to know I'm married to this woman. And in the times where it gets hard, because it does get hard, and I'll tell you, it feels lonely when it's hard, especially as a newlywed, because you look around at these other newlyweds, and they're going on vacations, and they're posting stuff on Instagram and Facebook, and their life is great, and every time you see them, they're smiling, and they're both in great shape, and I'm, I haven't worked out in a year and a half, and all this other stuff, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, we're, we're the only ones struggling, and that's a lie, man. That's a total lie. It's a complete lie. And so, like, when I say at the end of a football or basketball game, Selena, I'm coming home, it's because I want to publicly declare and I want to be publicly accountable for the fact that she is number one and she's my priority and that's the way that we're going to live our life. And if I keep that back door open at my whim whenever I feel like, oh, there might be whatever like what are we ever going to accomplish in life i i I think we live in this throwaway culture where we just throw away things so look at college football recruiting and i'm not trying to hate on anybody's individual decision but how many kids commit to three schools then they go to the third one then they transfer then they transfer again and like it's it's normal it and it's not that any one of them shouldn't be able to do that but it's the fact that it's just so normal I committed to trying to do this play-by-play thing, and it was really hard for 15 years. And I did it without the certainty that I would ever get the job that I wanted. And yet it ended up working out. If we're going to maximize our potential in our careers, in our marriages, in our faith life, it takes just utter commitment. And there's so many times where there's temptation to go another direction, but like there might be times where we like fantasize about, God, it, it would be... It would be fun to do something else, but those ideas are toxic. You know, Jesus says, yes, adultery is a sin, but I tell you that lust is a sin because it's not just about doing the bad thing. It's about fantasizing about doing the bad thing because that puts poison into your heart, right? And then that affects your thinking, your beliefs affect your thoughts, your thoughts affect your actions, your actions affect your outcomes, so your beliefs directly affect your outcome. And so if like if if we spend time negatively thinking about like oh man I just I'm going to dwell on this negative thing rather than like looking at all that God has blessed me with this unbelievable career this unbelievable woman this unbelievable woman who I really truly don't deserve to be with and this unbelievable God that gives grace that I truly don't deserve to have Mercy that I truly don't deserve to have. 
I don't know, man. I'm trying to figure it all out. It's really complicated. It'll twist you and turn you and throw you in all sorts of loops and circles and everything else. But there are answers to the questions that you have out there. And I just encourage anybody that's got questions to ask them. Don't bury them. Don't suppress them. Ask them. Because, man, when you tear that muscle during the workout, it's painful. When you rip up those fibers, it is painful. But that's, that stuff is getting stronger. You don't see it. You don't realize it. But that's where the strength is actually from. And Molly, I'm coming home. <laughs> Above and Beyond, the intersection of faith and sports. Subscribe to receive every episode at AboveAndBeyondPodcast.com.